Oh yeah, I like the sound of that, and I know that you're gonna like the sound of it too. This is The Manny Wolf Show, where I pull no punches, I don't hold back in my conversations with some of the most interesting minds on the planet. So, put us in your ear, turn the volume up, and hang on for another episode. Oh yeah, I like the sound of that, and I know that you're going to like the sound of it too. This is The Manny Wolf Show, where I pull no punches, I don't hold back in my conversations with some of the most interesting minds on the planet. So, put us in your ear, turn the volume up, and hang on for another episode. And we are live once again with another episode of The Manny Wolf Show. Today I have with me Davy E. Williams, and we are going to get Zen, philosophical, and existential on your ass. What's up, Davy? How are you, man? What's up, Manny? I am awesome, brother. Thank you, and awesome to use words that I cannot even spell myself. So I hope not to disappoint the audience. <laughs> Getting your point across does not have to have the fancy vocabulary that I tend to prefer. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just uh, do a little bit of um, housekeeping here. Absolutely. I'm going to share this out. And so let's see, where is Manny and Davey? Here we are. I learned the hard way to turn the volume down on the phone before I share. There we are. (laughs) Let's do a watch party here. Watch party started. And, uh, We'll just send it to my profile as well. All right, here we go. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you wanted to jump on this conversation in the first place. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, First and foremost, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, We've been connected for a few years now, and I've always been an admirer of your work. But even more than your work, man, your transparency, which we'll get into a little bit later. But just to give everybody... Anybody who knows me, you know my story, you know what I do. But for those of you that don't know who I am and don't yeah. know what I do, my name is Davey Williams. I am known as the Lifestyle Lifeguard, which we'll also touch on later in the interview here. Um, I am a golf psychology coach and expert. I also play on a few of the developmental tours. Um, how I got to getting into golf psychology um, when I was a kid, um, you know, everybody, when we were younger, our parents always tried to give us some activities to do to keep us out of the house, at least back in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up. You I know, remember. we were playing outside. Uh, technology was not something that uh, we had. Um, so my parents really tried to get me involved in various sports because I had a high octane personality and level of energy. And my dad thought golf was a great idea because, well, it'll slow me down Mm -hmm. and it couldn't possibly be aggravating because I was gifted physically with every sport that I played, whether it was baseball or basketball, tennis. So my dad takes me out to this golf course and the first hole we're teeing off, there's a body of water in front of us. Long story short, two hours later, my dad decided we'll just go past the water, (laughs) uh, stop having a heart attack and uh, it did not go well. And my dad threw me to my grandfather, uh, God rest his soul, my mom's dad. My grandfather was an avid golfer and he was gifted. My grandfather took me under his wing, taught me how to play golf, brought me back home one day to my parents from his country club and said, you know, if this kid could stick to something, he could really do something with golf. Like this could be a real future for him. Mm -hmm. 
fast forward, that is not even close to the direction that my life went. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I went a little bit of a different route. I got into business in my late teens. I was working in retail and I got promoted to like regional. I remember what the hell my title was. I was a regional manager. I was overseeing a bunch of stores and I decided college wasn't something I wanted to really pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I tried college, didn't work out. But my mouth, boy, my mouth made me a lot of money when I was young. And it also got me into a lot of trouble when I was younger. And, you know, I, at 24, I decided to move to Florida um, instead of moving to the Jersey Shore. And my, I met my wife, been married now uh, 10 plus years, been together for 16. Life, awesome. Um, between 24 and where I am now, I, I did a lot of very stupid things. And I call it sin, self-inflicted nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, I was building a career but wasn't really managing my life. Yeah. And what ended up happening many years ago, my wife and I lost everything because I'm an idiot. And, you know, I had to come to terms uh, almost a decade ago with being an idiot and being brilliant in business, but not in life. And I'm like, where, where is that disconnect? Mm -hmm. And I had this idea that I had come up with in business called the seashore C S U R E. Mm -hmm. Now that was inspired by my summers at the Jersey shore. I was a big beach guy, and I loved the simplicity of the lifestyle in the summers in Sea Isle City and in the Jersey Shore. So I came up with this concept, clarity, commitment, control, compassion, and consistency. And, man, it was rocking in business. Mm -hmm. And then it became a lifestyle concept when, like I said, we lost everything. And I had to kind of get my bearings straight and decide what I wanted to do. And I decided I don't want to work for somebody else. I'm going to work by myself, for myself. And that went well until it didn't because I realized that um, I can't do this by myself. You can't build a successful business or a life or anything with no one. Yeah. And it was a little challenging because, you know, my wife and I are from different backgrounds. She's a very inside the box, very simple thinker. I am an outside the box box doesn't even exist kind of a person. And two years ago, I got back into playing golf. And I realized, okay, I love the beach. I love the seashore. I love speaking. I love personal development. I love what I'm doing, but I think I want to give this a go. Like who doesn't want to do this at 39 years old when I started? Like who doesn't want to do this? Like 39, why not give this a go? So I started to play and play and get competitive and decided I'm going to join some of these developmental tours. Then I went and got certified as a golf psychology expert. And what I did is I took my lifestyle concept that saved my life and helped other people and brought that into the golf world. So as a lot of golf coaches and even golf psychology coaches are focusing on the game first, I put the game second. Okay. I help people build the mentality and align their methodology. And that's what I'm hoping to discuss today with everybody is not just in golf, but life and business. If we stop chasing results and embrace a process and mm-hmm. allow ourselves to have a firm mental foundation and adapt the methodology, we will attract the results that we desire. Works on a golf course, it works off of a golf course. So that's, and why I wanted to come on today, um, we were messaging before we came on. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's a lot of crazy, uh, am I allowed to say shit? You're allowed to say shit. Awesome. There's a lot of crazy shit going on mm-hmm. in the world right now. Um, <laughs> and I want to bring some semblance of sanity to people and offer some different perspectives 
on how we can all manage this both individually but also collectively as a society and really get down to what matters, what truly genuinely matters at the end of the day. So let's start with uh, what what does overlap between golf psychology and, and just sort of uh, life strategy. Yeah, so, you know, golf is a very – very funny game it's a reminder that god is a very funny sense of humor um you know golf most people think of golf as complicated they think of it as challenging and they think of it as boring so a lot of people don't even want to go at golf i think that's what a lot of people when it comes to their own personal development their entrepreneur development they are afraid because they think it's complicated they think it's going to be boring at times maybe it's not necessarily for them there's a lot of confusion they don't want to learn as much as they think they need to learn So people allow themselves to let complications kind of get in front of them. On a golf course, I always tell people, here's a crazy thing about golf. I see so many people throwing temper tantrums on a golf course. The other day, I literally watched a guy slamming his clubs into the, I mean, like he was digging to China. And I I asked him, like, first of all, do you know what's going on with us in China right now? You sure you really want to dig that way with the golf club? Right. Uh, He laughed. And I said, man, I've seen you on the driving range. And you've got a beautiful stroke. You've got a beautiful swing. What the hell are you doing, like, acting like this? And he said, you know, man, on the driving range, there's no mind. It's just me smacking balls. But on a golf course, there's a mind. Hmm. And I looked at this dude and went, that's like a lawyer telling me that I crushed it in my mock trials. But then I got my ass handed to me in the actual trial. See, people allow things to complicate their situation because they're looking. And when we look for something that is inevitably not there, we're never going to see what's right in front of us. And in golf, all you have in front of you is the shot that you're taking and where you're going to put it. Just like surfing, you can only catch one wave at a time. And once that wave is done, good, bad, or indifferent, it's mm-hmm. over and gone. So golf is a game where a lot of people carry baggage for no reason. And in life and in business, especially right now in these times, People are carrying baggage and weight that they don't need to be carrying because inevitably it doesn't even exist. I'm a little unclear on how it doesn't exist. I want clarity on that. So let's uh, let's keep it in the golf analogy. How okay. does it become if you're on the if you're on the driving range like this guy was and you're just smashing balls? And then you get on the course and suddenly you've got perceived, uh, I guess, limitations, right? It's limitations is what he's talking about. Yep. Uh, and you're, what you're saying is basically life is like that. That's a great analogy for life. Um, I guess what I, I mean, how do we have sort of like, how do we bring our limitations and put them in front of us in one arena, but not another. I, uh, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I love actually used a word, um, perception, perceived, perceived yeah. limitations. Yeah. Um, a gentleman that is a very good friend of mine. He was a mentor for some time. I do work with him with the, uh, the nonprofit that I'm managing director of at empowered fathers in action. Chris Salem, uh, always talks about a word expectations, mm-hmm. expectations, I go onto a golf course with no expectations. Mm -hmm. I go into life and business with no expectations. Now that doesn't mean I don't have goals, 
but I have no expectations. Now I'm going to use the guy on the, I'm going to use the driving range and the course. Now, when I say that those limitations don't exist, Mm -hmm. what I mean is you go out to the first tee after the drive, no matter how the driving range went, you're out there, you're smacking balls. Life is lovely. Now you're ready to step out on the first tee. You get to the tee box and you hit the ball and it goes absolutely not where you want it to go. It goes 300 yards off the fairway. You're in somebody's backyard and right. um, and what do people do automatically at that point? They're ticked off. Yeah. Why did that? Ju- I just hit the ball. Well, you know what? You're hitting a ball on a driving range. It's wide open. Chances are that tee shot is what you were hitting on the driving range, whether you realize it or not. But you went into your round thinking about how you played at the range and how your round is going to go. Well, what you did on the range is irrelevant. And that shot that you just hit is irrelevant as well. Why? Because you can't take it back, can't move time right. backward. Right. So people go in with a level of stress on themselves. Like I'm expecting to go play a wonderful round of golf. How about you just go out and play your game? Mm-hmm. How about you go out and play the game your way? And yeah. you know what? I've done that where I've stepped onto the first tee at a course, and my tee shot doesn't go where I was hoping it was going to go. Mm-hmm. But you know what I do? I smile. And I'm off to the races because if I allow that to be a problem, then it's real. If I don't allow that and enable that to be a problem, it's actually not there. Just like I think there's no people talk about being inside that box. Mm -hmm. There is no box unless you think that there's a box. There's no ceiling or there's no bar unless we enable ourselves to see or look for a bar. So that's what I mean when I say it doesn't exist. It, things exist if we allow it, or the reality is they don't exist. Was it a bad shot, a good shot? It was a shot. This is an interesting one for me because I understand that the difference and even the dynamic tension and the dichotomy between uh, expectations and goals, but it's very, very hard to articulate. So let's let's have you take a a swing at it. No pun intended. Um, it seems to me that if we follow the releasing of expectations as far as it will go, it becomes very nebulous to try to then still have goals. How do yeah. you? It sounds like this is at the heart of what you help people with. Yeah. So. Help me with it. Okay. So <laughs> one, one of the things, I love a challenge. Love a challenge, um, which I know you, you know about me. I love a challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, and I think this really correlates whether this is golf or off the course and something that we're dealing with right now mm-hmm. is assumptions. We go into things with assumptions as human beings. You know, people talk about don't judge it's not our, our right to judge. That's God's job. We are human beings. And guess what? It's a byproduct of being a human being. We yeah. are going to have assumptions about things going in. Yeah. So somebody that has an assumption that golf is challenging, standing, stepping up to the tee box, yeah. it's going to be challenging. Somebody that assumes that someone like me that has the political views that I do um, is a mm-hmm. bad person. Right? We go into so many things in our lives with assumptions. And so the way that I break it down for people is I have them visualize something very simple. Whether you're a beach person, you know how to surf or not, this is an easy 
visualization. So we're standing at a shoreline. Okay. You see in front of you, and here I'm, lo I'm looking out at the ocean. Here is this abundant ocean of opportunity in front of you. Okay. At the end of the day, you have to really be able to appreciate that that ocean is there, but you've got to be able to focus on catching one wave at a time. Mm -hmm. When you look at that ocean and you look at, oh my, like there's waves everywhere. Oh my, like it's, oh, it's overwhelming. But if you respect the fact that that ocean is there, if you respect the fact that the bigger picture of life and business is there, but you focus your energy on one wave at a time, then you can begin to adapt or adopt a mentality. I'm sorry, adopting a mentality where you have a firm foundation. You are clear. You're standing at a shoreline. You know that you can only commit to one wave at a time. Now, we live in a world where there are waves coming left and right. So you have to really be able to understand what wave is going to work for you. Just because Kelly Slater just went and caught that wave doesn't mean that you as a Grom are going to be able to go out there and catch the same wave. Just because other people are catching certain waves doesn't matter squat for you. So you've right. got to commit to clearly focusing on one wave at a time. And then something very powerful happens to people when we start to think about this. What do you have to control getting to the wave? just getting to the wave you don't have to control the what the wave does you don't have to control the you don't have to worry about that because it's not within your control so you get to the wave and now you are in control of what you do on said wave now is every wave going to work out no but that's where compassion comes into play and this brother is where so many people on a golf course off a golf course in life and in business sell themselves short when they fall off that wave the assumption that that wave is going to work out, the expectation that that wave is going to work out gives you a choice. When you fall off the wave, most people just go out to drowning water. If you forgive yourself and have an open mind and empathetic heart, have compassion for yourself for falling off and have compassion for the wave putting you there, you go back to the shoreline. And that's how people can create consistency in their thought process. So what we're doing in essence is simplifying what we're visualizing and remembering that, do you want to go after waves? Absolutely. Do you have to, in order to achieve the results that you want to? Absolutely. But what you have to remember is just because you saw the wave that looked good to you and it doesn't go well, doesn't make you a bad person. Doesn't make you stupid. Doesn't make your path wrong. Why? Because guess what's behind that wave? Right. Another way. So many other waves. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so assumptions and expectations mm -hmm. are things that we either enable to be there or things that we empower not to be there. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's, it's getting, it's getting into that sort of nebulous region of our, of our uh, kind of of our awareness and our relationship to reality, right? Absolutely. Um, let me see if I got it. So to commit to riding a wave, riding a good wave well, or riding a wave well is a different act than any kind of judgment or frustration you might experience uh when one wave doesn't go your way 
do we tend to have a problem parsing out those two different qualities? In other words, what, what I think I see is that maybe a better question is, uh, why do we beat ourselves up when the wave doesn't sort of flow like we thought it should that would be best for us? The simple answer to that is because we are human beings, right? There's a, there's another word that I want people to really let sink in with them as we're going through uh, this chat together, and that is perfection. Mm -hmm. The reason that people get caught in that, you know, either going out to drowning water mm -hmm. and drowning themselves in nonsense and negativity versus getting back to the shoreline is people have a like it's there is no such thing as perfection. Right now, perfection. Now, I understand that some people are going to debate me on that. However, the reason that I say there is no such thing as perfection, no matter what deity you pray to, no matter what you believe in, there's a greater power at, at work, right? That greater power is perfection. God is perfection. We were made in his image, but we were not made to be deities. So we have flaws and we have what is both our greatest asset and our greatest detriment at the same time. And that is choice and free will. Yeah. People are choosing to let a bar be in front of them. They're allowing perfection to be a bar in front of them. They're allowing outside influence like media, things like that, just to correlate that into what we're dealing with right now in society. They're sure. allowing those things to come in. And when you allow those things to come in, to your wave it's going to get a little crowded and of course you're going to get knocked on your rear mm -hmm. but people forget that what i take in from the media what you take we choose that we choose that what you've done with your life and your career the people that you associate with manny you've chosen that mm -hmm. you're a master at choosing yeah. and that's why the other day when you when you put up that that post if you don't mind me bringing it up you know about sure. how some of the stuff that the president has been talking about, like you can't disagree with some of it right now. Yeah. I yeah. think that that is powerful because there's two things. One, you're choosing to put what you feel about him or his presidency kind of to the side. And you're choosing to look at it from a different lens. You're looking at it from yeah. a different spot on the shoreline. That's a choice that you're making. Yeah. 99% of society is choosing not to do that. And I think people forget we have a choice. We have a choice to turn the television on. We have a choice to turn it off. We have a choice to listen to CNN. We have a choice to listen to Fox. We have a choice to listen or not listen. Yeah. We have choices. Yeah. And people have gotten so bogged down in drowning water that they think their only choice is to continue to stay out there in drowning water and that there is no hope of coming back to their shoreline. So when you when you bring in the post I made and and you sort of move us on Hey Manny here. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the importance of growing your own personal brand and your own audience. In this day and age, if you do business on social media or on the internet in general, you need to be focused on your personal brand. And your personal brand is a function of what people say, think, and feel about you behind your back. And that's where we can come in and help you tremendously. 
So I'd like to invite you to go over to my website, mannywolf.com, where you can either schedule a call with me or my team, or you can learn about the ways that we can help you to grow your audience powerfully and quickly. In this day and age, content is absolutely king. And if you don't have a content strategy, you can't expect big results. And what we do is we help you with powerful, powerful content strategies. In short, we can put you everywhere all the time without you doing hardly any work. Sounds kind of cool, right? If you'd like to learn more, head over to mannywolf.com and either book a call or look into one of the ways that we have already prepared to help you rapidly grow your audience, grow your trust, your authority, your personal brand, and of course, through all of those things, grow your business. All right, now back to the show. On to conceptual, uh, conceptually more solid ground a little bit. I think that I like to use uh, a sort of a, I like to borrow from Maslow's hierarchy of needs for this, for this idea. Um, basically, for anybody who doesn't know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs states that you can't get to a certain level of advancement, leading ultimately ending with uh, um, um, self-awareness. Really, it's it's like um, uh, empowered self-awareness. And and I think that Maslow was on to something there. I think Maslow was a, a, a brilliant guy. But it's like if you don't have your basic food, shelter, uh, breathing taken care of, you can't be thinking about ser- serving the world. That That's it in a nutshell, yeah. right? And so I think that there's a, a kind of a corollary here in that I think that most of us, for reasons I'd actually like to go ahead and get into, are not never get out of sort of level one or two, Right. And so this idea of, wow, I've got a choice of what I can and can't do down to this level, like people understand choices like uh, hamburger or chicken sandwich, <laughs> right? In, right. In, indoor or outdoor. Like we understand a certain level of choice. My experience is across the board, there's some people that totally understand choice is like this thing that goes down to like the quantum realm. You know, choice is this thing that exists. I also like to evoke Viktor Frankl here at this moment uh, because he personified choice at a level that very few people will ever, A, have to personify choice at, and B, um, uh, will have the courage to, right? So I think it's a matter of where you are on the self-actualization scale. And here's where it gets interesting for me, Davey. When we were living in tall grass and worried about tigers, you know, we all love that analogy, right? Everyone in the personal right. development world loves those <laughs> analogies. Yep. Um, we still have all these drives left over from that point in our evolution, but we've built up a really, really cushy society. And nobody has to talk about right now in this moment with the rioting and looting. Of course, I get it. So if you're out there and you want to wag a finger at me because, you know, that's okay. Um, By and large, by and large, statistically, we're the furthest removed from life-threatening danger that we've ever been as a species. And, but what happens is 
we don't have to get up into fourth and fifth gear anymore to live our whole lives, many of us, right? And, and you know, I, I feel like I want to say there are so many different variations to this. And, and yes, I think in America, your, your things like your race will play into this. Things like your socioeconomic status, things like your, your peer group absolutely affect this. But by and large, going on the numbers, you know, um, uh, we are as far removed from being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger as we ever have been. And so what happens is um, more and more, there's less and less impetus to have to really kick it into overdrive, right? But the thing is, is that overdrive is where all the good shit happens. And one of the things you can't do is kick it into overdrive without getting into the realm of the power of choosing, right? I mean, you can't, you can't get to, uh, I don't know any successful people, any successful people, men, women, tall, short, black, white, gay, straight, some combination of all of the above who aren't masters of personal choice. And when I see people looking at them and going, I want to aspire to that, or I'm envious of that or whatever, I also see people who don't understand how, how much on what level we have choice. Is that tracking? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do we, if, because I think all of that was to say the problem is for a lot of people that they really don't know that they're trapped in a reactive belief system, a reactive frame, a re, right? A reactive yeah. yep. world lens, call it what you want. It's this, it's the guy who says, if you only pay me 20 bucks an hour, I'm only going to do a $20 an hour job. Right. Yep. It, it's, it's that mentality. Yeah. I find that one of the, the toughest things for people is, is getting over that hump. And it just made me think of a bigger question for you. I've got, I was leading up to one question and I'm pulling, <laughs> I'm pulling the rug out from under you and I'm asking you a bigger question. Love it. Why do you think the human experience is so full of these kind of catch 22s like that? Because we've brought ourselves to this point. Go on. We brought ourselves to the point that, you know, we people don't want to make choices. I think that's what this boils down to where we've gotten to now is that it's not just a fear of what's happening. It's a fear of making a choice. People yeah. are so because there's so much negativity out there. Right. Like, let's yeah. say I'm, I'm just going to use a very simple, you know, this this one's radiating right now. OK, so the president. Let's say there's people that when he was coming into office, they wanted, they were not supportive. They're like, this is a bad idea. This guy's a lunatic. He's an asshole. He's selfish. He's that. But now they're like, wait a minute. You know, maybe he, maybe he is an asshole. Maybe he isn't exactly the night, like the kindest guy in the world, but he's, yeah. at least he's polite. And what he's doing when you look at it, like maybe it's people are so afraid to speak because they're afraid of the backlash. See, people are so afraid of backlash well, the reality is we don't know what backlash is going to be. We don't know what that's going to turn out to be. Like on your post the other day, you saw what I wrote. I came in and said, look, I've been an avid supporter from the beginning. And I knew 
there was a chance that some people may not like the fact that I even came at that angle. Like I yeah. know people, you know, but I don't assume how it's going to go and yeah. I don't have any expectations on that. And I think that's where people need to kind of come right now. And I'll give people an analogy to show them just how bad shit really isn't right now. And like you said, how far away we are from the saber tooth tiger. Yeah. If we look at the world or the, our country, let's just focus on the United States right now as everybody remembers Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse. Mm-hmm. You remember Pee Wee used to have that rubber band ball and he was always adding rubber and every episode is getting bigger and bigger. And What's happening right now in our country is certain rubber bands are snapping. And that happened to Pee Wee in his playhouse where rubber bands would snap on the ball. Mm-hmm. But did the ball break? No. Right. Why? Because it is so solid at its core. We as a society have made so much progress. Yeah. But I think with the level of tension that was already existing, even pre-COVID-19, I mean, really think about it. The last few years have just been a tsunami of negativity, adding up, adding up, adding up, adding up. And now using my beach analogies, I'm telling people focus on one wave at a time, look at the ocean. They're looking at the ocean and they see the tsunami of crazy coming right. and they're afraid. They're afraid, but you can't live your life in fear. You can't be afraid to make choices. You can't be afraid to embrace who you are. Yeah. And I've got two reasons why I can guarantee people that you can make choices and take it into overdrive, deal with the backlash and still make it out. Okay. I'm looking at two of them on the screen right now. Yeah. Two completely different ways of getting there. But you and I are united in the sense that we know what the power of choice represents. We understand what the power of fear can do, but we understand even more than that, what the power of fear doesn't do to us because we choose not to go that route. Yeah. And people are like, they're just settling. Like they're like the world's over. And I see pictures uh, today. It was um, somebody was showing a picture of a city and then it's, it's world war Z. Right. Like, this is like people think they're brilliant for pointing that out. Right. No, I, I don't think people are brilliant for pointing that out. I, I think that's enabling the challenge. I, I think that we have just gotten so caught up in animosity that people are afraid to stand out because they don't want to be hated. Again, well, they so, don't. So that's, that's a that's a whole sort of topic you know, the, the recreational outrage culture, the cancel culture, the, the social justice warrior culture. Um, if, if for some reason it needs to be said, I'm just going to say, uh, I'm sickened and disgusted by what happened to George Floyd. And, you know, just absolutely like, I can't watch it. I, I, I don't know about other people, but I can't watch it. Yeah. Um, I think that the initial, probably the first, this is just my guess, you know, as a white guy, the first night of riots in, was it Milwaukee, Wisconsin, wherever it was, right? The first night 
where they were where they were protesting at in the city where it happened. Minnesota I, and Minnesota. Minnesota, Minnesota. I believe that was a legitimate outpouring of rage. Agreed. Agreed. I have fucking my heart splits open for that. Every night since and in all the other cities, uh, I'm seeing reports of protesters trying to stop rioters. I, I mean, there's a picture out there that I, I can't hardly even grasp the, the humanity of it where there are these protesters making a wall between rioters and a police officer. Cop. Yep. It, it's staggering to me. Yep. It, it like, so that's where I'm at with the whole thing. Um, now what we're talking about though, is the social justice warrior, the sort of selective outrage culture, the cancel culture. And I don't even want to talk about this so much, but I feel like, it has gone into toxicity with the what is it called antifa yeah the right so these these like self-righteous protesters that are willing to bring violence to stop violence and believe me growing up how i grew up i understand the tendency to want to use violence to stop violence and i will even say that there have been moments not many but moments where violence and rage and aggression were the only thing that got me out of situations i was in now, the percentage of times that I used violence, rage, and aggression compared to the, the amount of times that it was truly the right call is very small. Yeah, It's very small. I'll admit that, you know. Um, but the whole, I believe there's a, what you're talking about is there's a cultural move toward, and it's hard for me to say this because I, I, I was sort of raised a card-carrying liberal, Right. But it's like this backlash of like ultra liberal thought. It, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing is harder than for me to say these words, not because I don't see the truth in them, but because and this is where it becomes a really interesting reflection of of the cancel culture, because I'm so conditioned by my own life to believe and agree with the way that I was indoctrinated the way that I was raised, you know, I was, uh, and I had somebody, one of my friends on Facebook actually helped me out quite a bit said, you're probably struggling with what you see now as the liberal political social culture, because it doesn't match what you were raised in. Right. So, and I don't want this to turn into liberal versus Republican. And no, I, no, 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 you're good. I but, got, I'm with you. But yeah. And I think that that's true. The way I was raised that group of people would never that 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 school of thought would yeah. never be part of cancel culture, selective outrage culture. You know, these were um, these were not those kind of people, and and I think that to to see a man killed, straight up killed. I mean, there's just no there's no mints in that one, right? There's yeah. no yeah. Come on. There's no gray area with that. Right. That was intentionally. If it looks like a duck play. and quacks like a duck, yep. We don't need to argue anymore. And not that anyone's yep. arguing, but um and then to see like I can't wrap my head around it. Little pasty emo white kids 
dressing up in all black and throwing bricks through windows and, and fomenting violence, there's a fucking disconnect there. You know, and again, to see those yeah. protesters protecting a cop, I know it's just one image and I don't know what's happening in every moment of every protest all over, but it's not the only image I've seen. It's not the only report I've heard. Um, let's do this. How do you think we ever got to such a, a, an intense swing of the pendulum that this now self-righteous cancel social justice warrior culture is even a thing yeah so uh one again absolutely love and respect your transparency um so let me backtrack and i'm gonna i'm gonna answer that so i was raised in a very interesting household mm -hmm. um my mother was one of nine children um, raised by my grandfather by himself. My mom, mom passed away when my mom was 12. My youngest uncle was five. So my pop pop raised nine kids on his own. Um, always questioned his sanity. Um, uh, but my mom's side, uh, very, very liberal, um, very, very democratic. We'll call it yeah, yeah. my dad's side, very conservative, very yeah. Republican. I was, I was a blend of those, um, mm -hmm. You know, my younger brothers, there's an age gap of six, eight, and 10 years between my younger brothers and myself. I had a different relationship with each of the families than my brothers do. And I was, I was a blend of, of both of them. Yeah. And here's where I think things started to go south. And, you know, it, we talk about Donald Trump. And I, I'm not as the president. Now, I'm just going to use him as an example here. We talk about the word polarizing. Right. Mm -hmm. We've never had such a polarizing figure in the present. We've never had such a polar. OK, well, let's go back to Barack Obama's first term when he was running. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And I saw Barack Obama live in South Florida when he was running. He had Joe Biden standing next to him. You know, I was in the speaking. This guy could electrify an audience. I mean, yeah. I'm never really wowed by a lot of speakers, but holy yeah. shit, bro. Yeah. I could have I could have broken that building down and rebuilt it the way that this guy was talking. Yeah. Yeah. Polarizing. Mm -hmm. And something in that moment in his campaign began to set a trend. Not good, not bad. Just it began to set a trend. Okay. And we had a gentleman that came into the presidency with the least amount of political experience whatsoever. The youngest, right? Like he's 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 a polarizing figure. He's different. His color was something, but you know. I understand why it was a big thing, but his color wasn't really the polarizing aspect. It was, he made everything sound awesome. Yeah. He talked a hell of a game mm -hmm. and he got a lot of people to buy into what he wanted to do for the country. Yeah. So his policies through eight years, that pendulum began to swing. And I don't think he meant to do this. I really don't think Barack Obama's intention was for things to swing the way that they did. But once yeah. that pendulum began, it's like you're in Washington. Like, what what are you going to do? That pendulum began to swing. And then, you know, four years in, he's going against Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. And it was polarizing at that that division of thought processes kind of mm -hmm. started to divide at that point. Mm -hmm. And then we get to where we are with the last election and Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And we've got a guy less political experience right. yeah, even irrelevant, right? like zero right so we talk about why we got to where we got to 
I don't think Donald Trump was really what got us where we are. I think that Barack Obama's presidency and what that represented for our country, for our leadership, mm -hmm. for opportunities to be a leader in our country. Yeah. I, be, I think that opened that door. And I think what That's we're dealing with right now. Yeah. Here's what I think Donald Trump is actually like years down the road, bro, like way down the road when you and I are old farts and we are like mm -hmm. wheelchair racing in the old person home. Yeah. I think we're going to look back on Donald Trump as something that we're not seeing right now. I believe that his presidency is going to continue to open the door that Obama started to with non-political figures. Yeah. yeah coming in and and doing things in Washington that we're just not used to seeing. Yeah. Now there are people that love what he's doing. There are yeah. people that are scared shitless about what he's doing. Yeah. There's people that are scared because what he's doing is taking money out of their pockets. But I think what we saw was the most polarizing human being we could have possibly put into yeah. a political campaign. Yeah. With Donald Trump. And I say that because people either loved him yeah. before he ran or people hated him. Yeah. Donald Trump has no middle ground. And bro, yeah, absolutely. I, can, re absolutely. I can relate to that. People either love me and like we're good or yeah. <laughs> we're not, right? And I think that people have gotten so caught up in the emotion, yeah. the negativity, the positivity. There is, we're using emotion as a foundation. And this cancel culture bases everything they're doing on an emotion yeah in the moment emotion yeah. there is no foundation in emotion that's like building real estate on quicksand or a sinkhole here in florida yeah and uh, that yeah. is where we are going south every conversation i have with somebody that doesn't agree with me mm -hmm. they're going on emotion well yeah. he's this he's that so you're yeah. this you're that you're this you're that if yeah. i did a, a facebook live the other day five minutes long about George Floyd's death was horrific, like yeah. horrific. And the, the day or two after it happened, I was at the grocery store and there was a sheriff from my county in, in there. And I thanked him for his service. And we're sitting there like having this, this conversation. And I realized the looks that people are, are giving him. Yeah. And people are like, they're ready to castrate all law enforcement. Yeah. Why? Because we are dealing with this on emotion and not common sense. Yeah. We're not dealing with this reasonably because we're going from emotion. And that's the hardest thing for people to take out, bro. <laughs> but it's what we need to take out because racism is a problem. Yeah. Racism is absolutely a problem. Um, the, the law enforcement that takes advantage of their oath and vow to keep yeah. people safe, that's a problem. It's a huge problem. But, but, no, but nowhere in history has this proven to win the battle the way that people want to win. Right. And that's exactly. all people care about. Exactly. They just want they just want to be in the light. They just want to say, hey, I stood for something. But they don't even know what the hell they're standing for. Why? Because again, they're not standing on a foundation. Yeah. They're standing on quicksand. And what happens when you get more people into quicksand? You start to pull more and more and more. And now we've got a society of people getting drugged into this quicksand of yeah. negativity and emotion. And there's people like you, like me, that are standing next to the quicksand with our hand out saying, you don't have to go down this road. We don't mm -hmm. have to. But this is not. Yeah. I don't want to see people going down a road that we don't have to go down. And we're going down that road. 
for me to get a text message last night from my father-in-law who lives in the Fort Lauderdale area that they're on lockdown and a curfew because of what happened in Minnesota. What, what are we accomplishing? Yeah. What are we accomplishing? Like, yeah. what is this emotion going to, and for all the people that are pointing at Donald Trump, like, there you go. See, he's a racist. He's enabling this. He's doing like, he's okay. With, what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? That's not embracing a solution. That's just enabling the divide. So CNN, Fox, all the media outlets, they're just doing what they're paid to do. What yeah. we are all doing with it is why we are where we are. It's emotion. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who voted on emotion. They voted for Hillary Clinton just because they didn't want Donald Trump. Or they mm -hmm. voted for Donald Trump because they didn't want Hillary Clinton. They based yeah. it on emotion. So for the last three and a half years, this is where we are. I didn't vote on emotion. I don't make decisions based on emotion. I don't have conversation based on emotion. You can't do that. And that's why we are where we are. Emotion has enabled the assumptions, the expectations. We're enabling the cancel culture to continue in a sense. Yeah. And that's, dude, that's why I wanted to come on your show. Yeah. Because your audience is not emotional. There are so many people that you're connected with and people that follow you and look at you as a beacon of hope and common sense and decency like I do. And I wanted to prove something. Yeah. We haven't always seen eye to eye on politics. And here we sit having a reasonable conversation proving right. what? Yeah. That right now, it's not about liberal. It's not about conservative. It's about humanity. And at the end of the day, that's what unites us. And we can't enable that to divide us because that is what unites us. What you and I are doing right now is what unites us. Absolutely. So yeah. Two turns into four, turns into eight, turns into 16. Everybody knows the, you know, the, the network marketing drill, but that's what it is. And we got to start somewhere and somebody's yeah. got to start it. And I look at you, I look at myself, I look at people in our circle, people that we're connected with. We are the ones that are going to be the spark of the solution, but we can't do it alone. So we're calling on common sense and decency. And people are afraid of that because of emotion. And I'm here to say, knock that shit off. Because <laughs> here's Manny and I, who haven't yeah. always seen it. We see eye to eye on the really important things. But yeah. we can do this. And we can do yeah. this together. Or we can do this divided. Yeah. But how about we do it together? How yeah. about we align where we should be? And let's let that spark the momentum to shift this cancel culture. Let's yeah. renew. Let's be a culture of renewal, not canceling, not caving. Let's renew our sense in one another and trust in one another and not look at somebody else to fix our damn problems or look at somebody else like they are the problem. Yeah. That, my friend, is why we are, in my mind, why we are where we are. And all this... This poor man is up above right now in heaven looking down, rolling over, going, what the hell are these people yeah. doing? Yeah. His girlfriend came out and said, like, what are they doing? Yeah. There are – I know that there are people that are just like, go, what the hell? If I'm the president, I'm looking at this, no matter who it is in the house, going, what in the hell are people doing? And to see yeah. people posting today 
that when he speaks this afternoon, like he's he's talking as we're talking, martial law is going into effect. Are you out of your what the fuck is wrong with you? Martial yeah. law, no, that's emotion. Yeah, he doesn't make decisions on emotion, and that's tough for people to swallow. I don't agree with everything the guy does, I don't agree with everything that anybody does, but I will accept <laughs> right. the position, yeah. right? Like, I'll respect yeah. the position and say, yeah. All right, well, that okay. Like, every time I see him on Twitter, I say, Bro, shut the fuck. What is wrong with you? Right. Come on, man. man. You, you own enough golf courses, President. Like, go yeah. the fuck out on a golf course, bro. Yeah. Seriously, come to Seabrook, Florida, and I'll take you through the seashore. Like, yeah. go. But again, I respect what the position is, and I focus on things to me that, like, what really matters, what really matters right now. And I think that we need somebody with a set of balls in between their legs to grip this this pandemic this 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 pandemonium over mm. a human being losing his life and i think it's going to take people like you and i men and women alike with sacks of sand in between our fucking legs to unite and say you know what the things that we don't agree on really are irrelevant right now yeah. what do we agree on putting a positive message out there for people to grip onto and run with and that's what we're doing right now that's what the people you've had on that's what they've been doing. That's what you do every single day. That's what I try yeah. to do every single day. Well done, man. Way to light it off. Seriously. Thank you for that, Davey. Um, I got to go. You got to go. But this was awesome. Um, especially toward the end there, I felt like we really got into some. Absolutely. Some meaningful shit, man. Um, Absolutely. And like I posted today, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to go out and throw temper tantrums and you want to break shit, please go to a golf course. And I promise you, you will experience the same emotions. And then when you're done throwing temper tantrums and breaking shit and running away with other people's balls, we can go to the seashore together. Yeah. But I seriously implore everybody to look at golf. Look at the look at something that you can relate to mm -hmm. and utilize that to get yourself out of emotion. Yeah. And into common sense and empathy. Yeah. And thank you again, brother, from the bottom of my heart for giving me this opportunity and, and for tolerating me for an hour. It takes a special <laughs> breed to do that. Seriously. It takes a special fucking breed of person to put up with me for that long. <laughs> All right, Davey. Thank you, man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Manny Wolf Show. If you know someone that you'd love to have me interview, please go to my website at mannywolf.com. That's M-A-N-N-Y-W-O-L-F-E.com and submit them as a potential guest. We love to bring guests on that our audience wants to hear from. So please help us to find the best guests for you by going to mannywolf.com and submitting anyone that you have in mind to be a great guest, including yourself. And if you'd like to know more about me and what I do, please come over to Facebook and join my group, simply called The Manny Wolf Group. If you'd like to get more into my world where we have all kinds of tips, trainings, valuable stuff for you to help you get better at growing your brand and your audience, please come and join The Manny Wolf Group on Facebook. Until our next episode, I'll see ya. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Manny Wolf Show. If you know someone that you'd love to have me interview, 
please go to my website at mannywolf.com. That's M-A-N-N-Y-W-O-L-F-E.com and submit them as a potential guest. We love to bring guests on that our audience wants to hear from. So please help us to find the best guests for you by going to mannywolf.com and submitting anyone that you have in mind to be a great guest, including yourself. And if you'd like to know more about me and what I do, please come over to Facebook and join my group, simply called The Manny Wolf Group. If you'd like to get more into my world where we have all kinds of tips, trainings, valuable stuff for you to help you get better at growing your brand and your audience, please come and join the Manny Wolf group on Facebook. Until our next episode, I'll see you.